Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. Here we discuss ideas, share experiences and stories about L&D specific topics. I'm Shannon Tipton, owner of Learning Rebels, where we strategically fix training that's broken and develop workplace learning that delivers desired business results. Today, the cool kids are talking about bridging the learning doing gap. And it all started with the big question on the table. How can we ensure that the skills and knowledge acquired during a training program are effectively applied in the workplace? We've all been there. We create what we feel is a learning solution that can't go wrong. And then it does. We covered all the bases. The training addressed a business problem. The stakeholders bought into the solution. The materials were easy to access and review. So what went wrong? Today, we're talking about the common pitfalls learning encounters. How can we provide ongoing learning support without workplace disruption, give them tools to help embed the learning solutions into the organization and help managers help their team members achieve learning success? So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome everyone to the Learning Rebels Coffee Chat where we are discussing L&D topics of the day together, figuring out solutions, finding best recommendations for how you do things. And in this case, we're talking about the learning doing gap. And what I mean by the learning doing gap is really the transfer of knowledge, the transfer of skill. When we put people through a classroom or a course be it virtual, instructor-led, or e-learning. The big question is, how do we get people to apply what they've learned into their day-to-day, right? That's the big question on the table. There are two reasons why learning transfer fails. The first reason is a lack of feedback loop. So we're not providing necessary feedback. We're not providing a necessary adjustment. And the second reason is because of a lack of learning reinforcement. So those are the two main reasons why learning fails. And what I'd like to talk about here is, yes, feedback loops for sure, but also what are we doing in regards to learning reinforcement? How are we bridging the gap when it comes to learning reinforcement and also providing them feedback loops? And Heather, is this like for work-specific training or public webinars, I treat each differently? And you're absolutely right, Heather. I would treat both of those differently too. And in this case, I'm talking about work-specific training. How can we help people get back to their day-to-day and apply what we need them to apply? Public workshops, a little bit of a different animal here because a lot of times we don't have control. If I were to do a public workshop, I don't have control over what you do when you leave me. But here we have a little bit more control. Dr. Bob, I saw your hand. Almost all of what I did was management development. And the key to success was having the supervisors of the learners meet with me for half a day so we could discuss 
what they could expect or what they should expect from their learners who've gone through the management development course. And without doing that, I mean, the whole thing is just way too haphazard. Nobody knows who's going to do what, when, where, and how. Nobody knows if that's a result of the learning that they received from Dr. Bob, or if, you know, they read something in the Sunday business section. Right, exactly. I love that approach because and as people are um, saying in the chat, getting the supervisors involved certainly is an important first step. Now, Jean, what would you like to contribute? I see your hand. I just wanted to ask, because I've always had this question in the back of my head, if it is especially for a sales team, oh, our sales team needs training on this. I always thought, well, after the post, the reinforcement should be up to the sales leader to bring it up in a one-on-one to coach to it or whatever. So do you actually give them a template to talk about? Do you just tell them that they need to do it and assume that they do? Like, where does my responsibility end to doing that reinforcement? Great question. Dr. Bob, what's your thought? You tell them the what. We're not leaving it open-ended. We're not leaving it to chance. You're trying to develop perspectives, but more importantly, some serious specific behaviors. So I want the sales manager to know what those behaviors are that we had his or her salespeople learn in the classroom. And you know what ends up happening? The sales manager says, oh, I never thought of that. You know, I always thought that was kind of funny, but you've got to meet with them. I don't know. You want to draw a list and have an email ready for them and say, look for this, look for this, look for this, look for this. I don't know. That's up to each person to decide how they want to do that. But I think the more specific, the better. I agree. I like the idea of sending them a management follow-up email. So their people have just been through the class. So Gene, for example, all of your salespeople have been through the class. After the class, you send a follow-up email to the manager saying what Dr. Bob just said. Here's what you need to look for. You need to look for this, this, this. This is the language they should be using now. This is the process they should be using. You know, and here are some helpful guidelines for you. Or here are some helpful talking points for you, right? So I love that idea. I think that's a a great idea. Jennifer, I see your hand. One of the things that I've seen works for us is as we do the last few slides to wrap, you know, I've told them not to use their phone the entire time, but I say, pull out your phone now, send an email to your leader and talk about, just write one thing that you're going to do differently starting tomorrow And then in the body, just write like, and I want to discuss this in my one-on-one, how you can help me. Like, do you want to be my, you know, my accountability partner? Do you need me to clear the workload? Do you need, you know, more micro help as you're building towards this mastery or whatever? And then I usually give it like a week or two. And then I send an email to the people leaders of my attendees. And I say, by now, you should have received an email from your leader who attended my training on date. And they asked you for help. So please, you know, if they didn't do that, uh, ask them why um, when it was a call to action. And if they did, you know, please, uh, please let me know if you need further help from me. So I'm kind of putting it back on them that uh, they're responsible to follow up. And it's really just one action. And I've, I've seen that work fairly well. Jennifer, I don't know if you noticed, but when you said uh, have them open up their email and send a note to their managers, anyone who had their mic on went, Oh, so I don't know if you heard that, but I'm glad that resonated. No, I didn't hear that, but I'm glad it resonated. (laughs) It did. 
And I think that's a really good idea. I really like that. Excellent. Thank you for that contribution. So now we're all just like scribble that before I forget. Dr. Bob? Yeah. I mean, what Jennifer's describing is really cool. Another thing I like is if it's a small group of salespeople or a small group of managers is have the manager or the sales manager go out and make the call with them or get online with them, you know, whatever strategies they're using. And so that way, the sales manager or the director of those managers can see in action what's going on or not going on. And if you're real fortunate, the managers have been to your coaching skills program. And so they know how to work with those people to ensure that the learning and the action take place. I like that. What you're alluding to is if we put salespeople through some sort of, let's say, I don't know, negotiation skills class, okay, then we are making an assumption here, and I, I think it's a solid one, that the manager should have gone through some sort of companion piece, right? So there's a companion piece with that. So when everybody's completed this series, as it were, then they can all help each other as they move forward. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. And the companion piece doesn't have to be a huge thing. It doesn't have to be a half day or even two hours. It could be a one hour, let me touch on the high notes of what everyone's going to go through. So now you're, the manager's in the loop with what the participants are doing, and then everybody comes together afterwards. It would be even cooler to do, like, even after that, the manager gets on the calls and then you have a learning community or a once a month manager meeting where they talk about challenges with their teams, where they say, what did you see on your team after after the training? Who had the most improvement or whatever? Kind of make it a competition with the sales leaders. Then the sales leaders can talk amongst themselves about what did they see amongst the teams. I like that idea. And that would be applicable for any position, right? Not just sales. It could be leadership development or what have you where you have the program, you have the companion piece, and then a month later, you get the managers on maybe a half hour call to say, what sort of changes have you seen? What sort of behavioral changes or action-oriented changes have you seen with your people from a month ago? Yeah. Another piece of that is, what did you not see that you expected to see? Because I think when they miss something, that's just as important as what they did do and mm-hmm. and what was the impact of that. I mean, that's a great discussion. The manager makes a call with someone and not only do they talk about the behaviors, but they talk about the impact. Did they get the sale? Did they have to reduce the price? Did they have to change the delivery date? I mm-hmm. mean, God, this could be so cool. But you got to have time. You got to have time to do all this. You do have to have time and you have to have support, right? So you have to have leadership support, management support, like Jason put in the chat there, that it's certainly a utopia. And I don't think it's unrealistic to start with those rose colored glass views, right? Because then you can scale down. What can your organization support? What do they want to support, right? So, Jason, what are your thoughts? I typed so many different things before I just came up with one word. It's a good word. Yeah, it's a good word, but it's like, oh, that's all great until you realize that learning is not part of the culture of your company. 
And yeah, it's great to go in with those rose-colored glasses and want to try these things. And I guess it is when people say, well, the learning's not happy. It's like, well, we're doing everything we can. Like training can only take it so far. You have to buy into this. You have to do these things. Oh, well, we don't have time to do that. Then the results aren't on us. I mean, I hate to say we're passing the book, but it's like, I can only supply you with these tools. You have to build the house. Great analogy. This is why I often say that in the design document that you create or business case that you create for any training program, you put in the risk reward portion. So the risk is, so here's my design document and these are what we expect. These are the expectations at the end of the day. And in order to get to those expectations, this is what we have to do, or this is what I'm suggesting that we do. And if we do not do this, then X will not happen. So you're outlining in the design document, or like I said, business case or whatever document you're filling out, that if X doesn't happen, then the results that you're hoping to see will not occur. And then that way, when they say to you, well, we don't have time, management doesn't want to, or whatever they come up with, and you can say, okay, I wrote down right here that if we did not do this, then the goals will not happen and see each of you saw this email, each of you signed off on this document. And so now deal me out, you know, and that's a habit that we all need to get into. Oftentimes, you know, we just accept the challenge of creating something without really letting people know in writing that these are the sorts of things that need to occur in order for the learning to actually be transferable. I really like that, having that risk reward thing when you're talking about, hey, we're in this learning, your participants will learn and then you have your objectives, but then also that risk reward thing. I really like that because then it is, and you just have a template, right? You fill it out right. for each training initiative that you have or, or whatever. I really, I'm going to, I put that in a note too. Thank you. It's worked for me in the past and it's a, you have to train the organization to see that, you know, so it's not just all of a sudden one day you never told them that. And then the next day, all of a sudden you are making these demands, so to speak. There's a graduation here, you know, to lead them in that direction. Part of what we've done indirectly is we have sort of trained the organization to expect the impossible from us. So they come to us and they say, we need this training program and we need it built like this to do this. We need it yesterday make it e-learning, make it 20 minutes, incorporate these 10 slides, do this, do this, do this, right? Does that all sound familiar? Yep, I see nods, okay. And then we, we go to groups like this, and then we go, can you believe they did this to me? And we all commensurate, which is great, that's what we're here for, and then we go back and we do it. So effectively, what we've done is that we've trained the organization to know that it's okay for them to do what they've done because we'll come out with the answers. We will come out and do whatever they want. And so now we have to reverse train them, if that makes sense, right? So so there's a little bit of a, a graduation for this, but we can do it. Um, Erica, I saw your hand. My brain has now been noodling on what you said because I was going to connect to Jason's comment and then you've kind of created a little bit of a through line and um, I'm working on a program right now, which is what 
I was connecting to when I was listening to Jason and that, you know, they have indicated what they claim are current state gaps. And we're trying to present to them an opportunity of being able to do work that is actually good work, but helping them to show how it can be scalable and repeatable and not be so much of tribal knowledge where it's this thought about like only this person can, you know, teach on this. And as we're trying to present to them about, you know, how they can do this and we're showing them here's a template and this is how the leader can, you know, be able to introduce the activity, let the person do the activity, then they do a coach or a debrief on the activity. And then we get feedback kind of like where Jason was going about like, well, but we are already doing that, you know, or you're saying, you know, there needs to be more time for this. Well, we don't have time for that. And then when I was listening to you speak about the risk reward component, and I think that's so far the biggest aha, and I'd like to speak to my colleague about it after today, I think what we're missing is even though we're trying to indicate to them how these small adjustments and how they as leaders who provide that wraparound and that, you know, continuous connection and checking in when they have somebody learning is so vital. And then when they come back to us and say, we don't have time, or we think we're already doing that, but they're clearly have indicated, but we're having problems. This isn't happening or that isn't happening. And you're like, okay, well, we're on a hamster wheel here because you're saying that there's something wrong. You were trying to provide you a way of how you can make small adjustments, even, you know, not even large things. And then you're like, mm, gosh, I, I just don't think that that's going to be possible. So I really like that you've introduced this very explicit risk reward because I think we're kind of in progress. So I got to figure out how we can shove square peg and round hole. But I think what you're hitting on is what we've come to acknowledge is the risk reward. And then we just go about doing what we do. But maybe what is missing is we're not clearly articulating, okay, I hear you, client. And if you say, client, that you do not want to then adopt this as a suggestion, as a methodology, please recognize that this will be the risk that will happen if you then continue to you know, do it the same way because you said these are the things that are supposedly not happening currently. Exactly. And so you can just kind of ease them into it, you know, until it becomes part of your culture. And to Jason's point, the goal for all of us is to work for an organization that appreciates having a culture of learning. And having a culture of learning means all of these supporting functions that Dr. Bob talked about, that Jennifer talked about, and Jean. It's how can we move that needle in little bits? You know, so it's baby steps. It's baby steps towards that. So Mia, I saw your hand. So I did something uh, called a Google Whisper course. It's basically a micro learning presented in a series of emails. And uh, the first one I did was just, I think I called it modern workplace learning culture or something like that, where I, and I sent it to all the managers, it was voluntary. And, and just to kind of present concepts about where learning in the workplace is going, trying to get like that shift in perspective that we're all trying to get from them on performance and things. But 
I would present like a little slide doc of the information, or maybe it was a video. And then I would uh, give them a form. The first question on the form was always sort of a survey question. So I could kind of get insights from where they are, what they think about learning on their teams, and then had a couple of um, sort of open-ended questions, just kind of getting them to reflect and input what they would do. And so in the next series, like I would kind of uh, summarize that uh, input that I'd gotten and then, you know, go into the next lesson, so to speak. It was, uh, I think it was a pretty good start and getting sort of that learning culture, getting managers thinking about it. I think if we can get like that one team that really adopts something and then we can model that, like, look how successful they were. So it turns into like a pilot. Well, and Jean asked a good question in the chat. Did it work? I think it definitely worked for those who who kind of really got into it. And I could see a little drift off over the four sessions, which was good insight for me, uh, but it wasn't a lot. So I was kind of impressed that um, I want to say something like 60 to 70% completed all four and it was completely voluntary, but, you know, making sure what's in it for them and that it's a doable, you know, task, I, I think was important in the design of it. And then I know it it caught like the CEO's eye and then he, he had me do for leadership training. And so um, where they kind of made it mandatory and, and, you know, Google's initial idea of it is it shouldn't be mandatory, but he liked the format of that email series. So I like a good drip campaign like that with lessons, you know, yeah. I think that's always a good idea. I love the fact that you did it you know, to help the organization understand what building a learning culture is. Yeah. What, what does that look like? I think that's a tremendous idea because then what we're doing is we're trying to level set mm-hmm. what this means. Because when we talk about having a culture of learning or a learning organization, yeah. that means something different to every person, to every organization what does this mean? And I think what you're doing here and what we all could do is that we're just kind of level setting the definition for what it means for our organization. Forget what HBR or Forbes or whatever, forget what they say. Here's what we're doing and here's what works for us. I think that's great. And then what you can do is you can build off of that. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's a tremendous idea. Love it. Now, what else? What we're doing here is we're identifying how we can bridge lessons to application. And so drip feed lessons, communication with the supervisors, creating some sort of companion pieces so that we can bring the managers into the conversation with learning. What else can we do or what else are you doing to help bridge that gap? Let's talk about pre-work for a second. Does pre-work help bridge the gap? I really started with the sales leaders and top down saying, this is how I'm going to structure a program for the sales teams. They have to do pre-work because if we're doing virtual training, I don't need to read them, read to them like they're five years old. Well, the first one didn't go super great. There was one team that did got a hundred percent participation in the pre-work and the 
um, virtual attendance. And the CRO actually did a huge kudos email to all the sales leaders saying, you know, such and such a team, blah, blah, blah. Well, the enterprise sales leader got all bent out of shape because he didn't get any kudos. Should have had your team do the work. And so we would always involve the upper, you know, the CRO who's completing the work, who's not completing the work, who's showing up. And it ended up turning it into where people saw the value of doing the pre-work because they'd be embarrassed coming to the virtual session and not being prepared because then their peers would end up saying, how come you don't know what we're talking about? And they didn't want to be the one to say, "Mm, I didn't do it. Right. Jennifer, I see your hand. Sorry, I just want to piggyback off of uh, what Jean's saying. If it's clear that there's no way I'm walking into Jean's trainings without doing the pre-work and that's the expectation you have set, then you're being successful. If you waver on that, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, or anything like that, that's where I get into trouble. So what I'll do in my pre-work is I'll say, you know, if this is a new topic to you, here are some optional resources you might want to check out. And then I clearly say, here are some required readings that we will discuss in the meeting. So if I'm giving them required reading. It's up to me to make sure that I weave that in. There's nothing worse than having spent like two hours digesting some Harvard Business Review content and then the facilitator never even mentions it again or right, right. doesn't weave in. Thank you for that. That was going to be my follow-up question as well, Jennifer, is again, I could have a whole hour's worth of discussion around pre-work, dealing with pre-work, what we should be doing or not do in regards to pre-work. That's a whole entire different conversation. My question is, to Jennifer's point, if we're going to have people do pre-work, how does it help them after, right? So we realize that it might set the stage for the program itself, but how can we link the pre-work that we're asking people to do to the exchange of knowledge after they leave the program? Is there something there that we're missing? Is there a link there that we are missing? I think you need to revisit the pre-work in some shape, manner, or form. Uh, You know, a small group discussion or some kind of a questionnaire where they check things off. I did this. I did this. Oh, I didn't hear that. I heard this, though. And that kind of closes, quote, unquote, the loop, at least for that piece of what we're doing. Yes, I agree. That's great. Great idea to make sure that we are closing that loop. Um, I think thinking about something that you're going to address in class that they're dealing with. Uh, so the pre-work is to think about some of those objectives you have for the class and think of a situation in your life where maybe these things are falling short. They use that as the guide throughout the class to apply the principles. And then after class, they have an accountability partner or someone else's great idea about sending an email to themselves. And I'd like to address that. But then you're connecting what they thought about and applying a current situation in their life and then connecting that back of how is it being fixed with the things that you learned um, potentially is an option. I love that idea. And anyone, I don't know if there was anybody here who just attended our Learn Something New session with Hadia this past Wednesday. So she talked about, you know, the importance of incorporating stories and how to do that. And I think the techniques that she discussed there, if you create this narrative, like Beth is suggesting, if you create this narrative before they come into the class. And then afterwards, they can take that narrative and say, okay, you know, this is what was before. This is how you got there from here. And so now you can see this improvement, right? So now the narrative changes. How has the narrative changed for you? 
I think that's a great idea, Beth. And no, I think a lot of what L&D does isn't rocket science. <laughs> you know, but it's important because, you know, we're not, we're, I don't think I've ever thought about it in that fashion is to create the pre-narrative and then the post-narrative. And now are you seeing a difference as to how that has worked for you? I think that's a really excellent idea. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you were asking how do you link the pre-work to the post-work? Um, if they had to explain a process or explain how a particular product worked in the context of how does it connect to other products, I would have a an infographic of how these products connect together. Mm -hmm. They reviewed that. And then in class, they would have to be able to explain it to their, in the breakout room, explain it to their coworkers. And then that pre-work, that graphic is their uh, job aid afterwards. Right. I love that. And I think that's another way that we can bridge the gap, right? A, a technique that I've used in the past myself is have them create their own job aid in the class. So they create their own infographic, they create their own storyboard or, or what have you, because if they create it, they're more likely to use it. And then that becomes part of the change that you hope to see. But it goes with what um, with what Erica was talking about. It's how do we go back, and the same with what Dr. Bob was talking about, how do we go back a month later, 60 days later, 90 days later, to see whether or not they're still using it, or if it was even helpful to them? Has any of the vocabulary seeped into their day-to-day -day conversations, right? You know, so I think that that's the really important bit. So Denise, in the chat here, you wrote using cohort groups with accountability. When you set up the cohort groups after the event, taking people out of their typical dynamics and partnering people together that typically don't work together, and then you get the ability to show individuals facets of other ways that the skills are impacting other components of the organization or other departments. So you start to break down some of those silos. And then that creates some accountability for people to realize that they're either contributing or detracting from the organization as a whole. Well, it might not necessarily impact their direct department, now it's impacting others within the organization that they might not have seen before. So accountability in that work stream and also accountability from the perspective of making assignments, small group assignments that everyone has to come back and contribute and learning from each other. You know, kind of like those group assignments that we all love to do when we were in our um, earlier education scenarios where one person picked up the slack for everybody right, else. One person always ended up doing the work for the project. Yeah, like that. I love the idea. Here's what I especially appreciate, Denise, is the use of the word accountability. And oftentimes I think we might approach some of this, um, the cohorts that we create, whether they be on Teams or Slack or whatever, so we create these cohorts. And we create cohorts for learning. Maybe it's a language change. So where rather than cohorts for learning, maybe it's cohorts for accountability, right? So then then the business might feel as though, oh, I, I need to, I have to, or this is really something I should be doing rather than a cohort for learning where everybody's like, eh, I don't have time for, I don't have time for that learning stuff, you know, but 
accountability is part of the business vocabulary. And so maybe if you put it, you know, reframe it that way, maybe then it becomes, maybe you see more success. So I really appreciate that you called it that. And so let me ask you, were you the person who introduced this to the organization? And if so, how did you go about doing that? I introduced it to the organization the first time, unfortunately, that I engaged in this experience. It was not successful. As expected. Um, mm-hmm. So over time and, and evolution started to, you know, create more accountability for the accountability. So right. That's very meta. Going upstream in the um, the hierarchy, setting an expectation that they will be at this event. This is critical. Having somebody in a position that can say that, there's gravity to them, that statement. It hasn't been a booming success, but I've seen it get better. Right. And that's what it is. It's baby steps. If you had told me it had been a rousing success from day one, I might have doubted you a little bit. Because I, it's it always, when you're talking about these sorts of group accountability or learning or what have you, it always, traction takes a little bit of time to occur, you know, so it's okay. And I would, I would let those who are listening to this know that it's okay. Don't feel discouraged if, if things like this do not take off right away. It takes time. Being purposeful in designing the cohort groups together to really open up individuals, especially if your organization is sort of siloed in departments. So where we might not have gotten the the true, like a measurable KPI to say that we were able to improve on a certain KPI within the organization this much, I definitely think that we improved the feeling of partnership among the teams or departments that hadn't existed before. Yeah. When you think about a KPI, we always try to attach it to a business KPI, right? So what's the what's the business goal here? And in some cases, it's easier than others. So if you think about sales, it's always easier to attach a KPI when you think about sales because you can say when they participate in this accountability group, let's just call it that, in this accountability group, their revenue is going to go up because their pipeline is going to be filled faster right? So their sales are going to be faster because they're learning from each other. That's the expectation, right? And so it's easier to connect those dots. And you can say that here's the other bit, right? It's businesses do not want to attribute 100% of the success to training. They want to say, it's not all training. It's this, 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 and this. And that's why we succeeded. However, they are not shy of saying 100% of the time it failed because of training. (laughs) Okay. So, all right. That being said is if we admit that up front and say, these KPIs are going to be reached because of some of the changes that we're making in performance reviews, some of the um, changes that we're making with the goals and some of the changes that we're making with leadership, plus the new training, then we're going to see XYZ happen. You know, so we're not putting all of it on our shoulders. Again, it goes towards that risk and reward thing. So then when it fails, we can say, well, the training went the way that training was supposed to go, but you all didn't do the management training, uh, the management changes that were expected. And so dot, 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 you know, and then this kind of helps 
cushion the blow, you know, as it were, about why something didn't, why a KPI wasn't met, et cetera. So, you know, to help those goals be moved forward, right? So it takes a village. We want to move everything forward. And so we'll admit that up front. And that's how we're going to measure it on the back end. Joyce, I I see your comment here about, or your question rather, it takes time. How long is too long? I wish I had a magic wand to tell you how long is is too long. I can only give you my experiences and maybe others here have their their own experiences. Let's take this coffee chat as an example. And so we've been doing this now. I don't know some of you who are regulars, we've been doing this for almost three years, okay, since since the beginning of the pandemic. And the registrations for this chat, when I first started, was like two, five, okay? And that went on for a while. And then it got up to 10. And I was super excited by that because I wasn't being lonely alone, you know, all by myself. But today, the registrations for this chat here was something along the lines of 70 people. And when you think about who shows up, and this is typical, you know, you get about a third of people who register who actually show up to some of these things, right? So, which is great. That means then I've got, you know, 75 people who are listening to the recordings or listening to the podcast or, or taking advantage of the resources that we have. And it took three years to get here. And, and I'm okay with that result. So then it's a matter of what will the organization sustain? What will it accept? You know, so that is something that can only be measured by you and your organization. What's the agreement? How long are we going to try this? Six months, a year? But just know that a month isn't going to be long enough. Or even if you think about building a cohort around a class, doing it once is not enough. Doing it twice is not enough because then you're still working out the bugs. What worked? What didn't work? What needs to be changed, right? And so those take several iterations. And and so that's all on, on you and your organization. So I don't know, anybody else got any thoughts around that? But we also have to compete with noise and time. Mm-hmm. We are not the only things happening in their lives. Right. This is why you have to be really thoughtful about what we put in front of people. And the mantra that I like to use is before I put something in a group, is it helpful? So is it helpful? Is it useful? If it's not, then maybe now is not the time. Maybe later is the time, but right now might not be the time. So it's about, you know, that judgment call. What do we use it for? How do we use it, et cetera? So all of that goes into the plan, you know? So I goes back to what, Gene, what you put into the comments a little bit ago about not introducing something, not introducing too much too soon, right? And, and yes, Mia, finding ways of getting feedback for sure, and, you know, getting feedback through surveys or work observation or, or what have you, you know, you want to get, you want to get something back that lets you know that you're headed in the right direction or that the people are headed in the right direction. And that could be one-on-one interviews, you know, pick a person, pick a person who is not going to agree with you. It's, we all want to find those people that really, you know, like what we're doing, but that's not helpful. You know, so sometimes you got to find the person who didn't participate, find out why, you know, or the person who's not using the infographic as a job aid, find out why, right? Okay. Well, 
we are almost at the top of the hour. So anyone have any closing thoughts that they want to share? I just want to say thank you because it really is nice to get together with learning L&D people and discuss these ideas, especially if you're in a small company and you're all by yourself. It's really, it gets sad and lonely to not discuss. It's sad and lonely. <laughs> it does. Well, even within larger companies, sometimes you just don't have somebody to speak learning with. We want to use our words, the words that we love, and we can't always use those words, right, within, you know, right. within our organizations. Yeah. And then I also want to acknowledge um, Heather uh, earlier on in the chat, you know, about creating a chat room and have people post examples of what they applied and how they learned. I think that that's all great, especially if you have Teams or Slack, super easy to do, right? It's just a matter of encouraging people to do that and ensuring that the cohorts or your Slack channels, it's a safe place. It's a safe place for people to come together and write the wrong thing, that it's okay, right? Okay. Yes. Thank you, everybody. And I, I'm looking at the chats. But on that note, I just want to encourage you all, be sure to sign up for the coffee chats that are happening in December. There are less L&D, teachy-teachy kind of things like what we're talking about here. They're more sort of fun because it is the holidays. Our next coffee chat here in two weeks is our, I think, our third annual, fourth annual maybe, gifts for the trainer in your life where we all come together and we put together some of the neat things that we wish we had and that we can give each other and might be helpful for your organization or might be great for anyone in your life. So we have a lot of fun building those gift lists. And then in four weeks time is when we have our little holiday get together, holiday extravaganza. And I have a bunch of books to give away. So I will look forward to that. So I hope you all have signed up for both of those things. Our Learn Something New this week with Hadia was the last one of this year. We will have more, obviously, in 2024. For, so look for that schedule to go up. But also, this is where we're all going to start with our intensive workshops. We're, going, we're starting off in January with our intensive with Myra. So Myra is going to do a two-hour workshop about generative AI and helping us build uh, chatbots and those sorts of things that can help us within our organization. So if you are leaning into this, this is where you can roll up your sleeves and really get to work with Myra. So we're looking forward to that. And there will be more intensives as we go on through 2024. So Thank you all for joining me here today. And I loved our conversation about everything that you guys are doing, you know, and everyone's feedback as far as how we can really make learning more applicable in our workplaces. And towards the point of finding more people to speak with, don't forget about the community. So the Learning Rebels community is there for you. Uh, feel free to join in on that. And when you are part of the community, you get discounts on some of the events. If you're a Community Plus member, you get 100% off of all of our Learn Something New. So it pays for itself there. And you also get access 365, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, access to all of the coffee chat resources and also some of the Learn Something New resources and research papers, etc. So please feel free to check us out there. So I look forward to seeing everybody in the community as well. Being that we are pre-Thanksgiving here in the States, what is...
Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. I loved this conversation. Clearly, most of us have been there. We've bought the t-shirt and we don't want to go back. Now, we know that training fails for two reasons. One, lack of feedback mechanism, and two, lack of learning reinforcement. But there is a third, more realistic reason, lack of management involvement. As the conversation showed us, activating managers early and often is the key to success when bridging the learning doing gap. The managers are the gatekeepers, and it's clear in our discussion that we've been manager blocked many times. And Jennifer had an excellent recommendation. Having the students stop what they are doing at the end of the class and writing directly to their managers through email what they are learning and their action plan for success. The key, of course, is alerting managers ahead of time that this type of message is coming and then give them the tools to support the action plan. We often assume that the managers know what to do when a team member completes any training program, be it large or small, but that is simply not the case. Some people don't know what to do. Others don't wanna be involved at all. So when it comes to learning solutions, beginning with the end in mind when it comes to creation will be critical to training success. And beginning with the end in mind starts with activating the managers and getting them on board with whatever training plan you have. Now in the show notes below, there is a list of all of the resources that we discussed. Well, you wanna join us live? And you know you do. Go on over to learningrebels.com, check out the events page and sign on up. And don't forget to check out the Learning Rebels community where you can have an opportunity to build your knowledge and connect with other cool L&D professionals. So in the meantime, Stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.